A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Wheelhouse DNA. Hi, everyone. My name is Boye Koloday. And I'm Chris Sautel. And welcome to The Future Forecast, a podcast where we explore the intersection between business, technology, and entertainment. If you don't know me, I'm the co-founder and president of The Future Party, which is a community-based media company for creative professionals. We have a daily newsletter where we talk about culture and technology, and we host a ton of different events around the country. And I'm the co-founder and CEO of CrossCheck Studios here in Los Angeles, a Gen Z media company. At The Future Party, we are so proud of the business and the community we've built, so we had the idea to create this show to dissect and explain some of our most interesting stories. Today, we're looking ahead. We're going to talk about how fashion predicts societal trends, how the video game movie is going to usurp the superhero movie, and how the New York Times is suing Microsoft and OpenAI. But first, let's catch up. Let's catch up. It's 2024, boye. It is 2024. Well, you know what it also was? What was it? It was your birthday. <laughs> and you know what we got? You know what we got? What? Oh, we, no. We ended up getting <laughs> birthday donuts. I like, didn't see you sneak this in. You know, I'm not going to sing happy birthday to you because I don't oh. know if it's copywritten. Wow. But or, <laughs> also my voice is just not, you know? Amazing. But, but I figured before you give me your ins and your outs, your... Your your New Year's resolutions of the diet and the two <laughs> liters of water you're going to drink and all that. Oh Why don't God. I start off and sabotage you with not only one, not two, but seven donuts. <laughs> all, all available for you to choose from. Oh, man. All right. So let's talk about our ins and outs. So this is like a trend that's been going on, right, in the social media sphere. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of it on Instagram. I didn't to tell you what your ins and your outs were like. 2023, going out are the days of drinking two liters and, yeah. and making jokes about what old <laughs> affirmations or New Year's resolutions were, yeah. the things that they were doing, and the ins were like, this is the new cool trending thing that I'm going to do. What are your ins and outs? I'm going out with doing too much. Mm. Overcommitting is the better term. Oh, yeah. Out with overcommitting or saying yes. In with time management and precise impact decisions or impact with my time. I like that. I like that. That's really good. Okay, so an in for me is going to bed early and waking up early. Yeah. I've generally been an early person, but I haven't quite nailed the going to bed early part. Have you specified the time? Right now, early for me is 10, 1030. And Are you going to commit to one time? Um, Somewhere in that range. I think a range is better for me. Okay. Uh, Respect. And- and then wake up would be 5, 5.30. Out. Uh, so this is actually funny because my friend, his name is Maurice, he posted uh, one of his outs, which I really kind of resonate with, is the the need to view every IG reel sent to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, I was funny. like, I, I might need to go to therapy for that one. Because like, even if I don't watch them right away, I feel like two months later, I have to like go through and just like out of respond. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into it. Uh, first topic of discussion is curated chaos. So what is curated chaos? Uh, Chloe McDonald from The Guardian has described the aesthetic of 2024 as 
curated chaos. Now, this is an interesting lens through which we can look at the direction of the world moving at large. Basically, and I'm paraphrasing, it's the idea that people are able to curate themselves, their fashion, their Instagram feeds in a way that's discombobulated. It's not polished. It's chaotic, for lack of better words. And fashion, I think, is actually the big like, focal point, which fashion actually oftentimes is something that pushes culture, that pushes style. And so, you know, it's the way in which we present ourselves. So it makes sense that fashion trends can speak and predict how our society might look. So some examples of what uh, Chloe is specifically talking about. Uh, the Mew Mew fashion show had models walk the catwalk with unzipped overflowing bags. Kim Kardashian was on the cover of GQ as the man of the year with a bag of Cheetos. Uh, the Instagram aesthetic has become a lot more messy. Blurry photos are taking over. Um, the the bed rotting trend that was all over social media this summer, so on and so forth. So experts, quote unquote, are saying this trend aesthetic is in response to the overly curated perfectionism that held our visual attention in previous years. But now it's curated chaos. It kills me. I can't get over this. And I don't mean to go back three topics. Why did no one talk more about Kim Kardashian being the man of the year? You know that the whole reason that that even happened was it was all just a ploy for her to talk about skims yeah. starting out skims men's men. line. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it wasn't respect. I mean, like power play respect. Yeah. I would do the same. I mean, it was an interesting play, I yeah. think. But um, I do think it does represent this idea of chaos. The fact that as a woman, she was on the cover and that she was dressed as a man and that she was eating Cheetos of all things. And But I, I, I don't know that 2024 is the year. I feel like we've kind of seen curated chaos in different pockets of the internet. Balenciaga was doing the catwalks with Cheeto bags and trash bags. Just Yeah, yeah. You and Ashley had quite the outfit for Halloween, if I recall. Yeah, we did. I loved it. It was actually, I think, maybe my top favorite. One of the best outfits I actually think I've ever seen. Yeah, thank you. I'll take it. This was 2022. Balenciaga was cool. Uh, Basically, we dressed up in all black. Ashley dressed up as a trash bag. And I dressed up in all black and had like my Lay's (laughs) my Lay's chips bag. And or she might have had the Lay's chip bag and I had a trash bag. But basically you had the trash bag. I recall this outfit very well. (laughs) I may just say. But the point is, to me, this isn't really new. This is just kind of like it's been happening. Yeah, Um, I I, I completely agree with you. Is it fair to say? Maybe the writer was meaning to say, or perhaps the takeaway is fashion is really pushing the agenda of less structure and less refinement and celebrating messiness, so to speak. Well, I do think there is some truth there. When you think about the dawn of Instagram, it was very polished, right? Like people remember when you would like make your whole like feed like a whole collage that like told a bigger story and i still feel like that's the case though i feel like instagram that that part i think i i also agree with you very much disagree with i feel like instagram is the new aged version of resume yeah i agree i do think some people choose to have that resume be chill right like even there's like really big meme brands that curate fashion yeah that's a good point you know like throwing fits and hidden and why and these are huge And I think they exemplify curated chaos, but I still do think there's a lot of the polish, but I think the chaos also comes from, from TikTok, right? It's just the style in which we talk. Like if you post something polished on TikTok, it doesn't go as far as just a talking head, raw, 
you know, emotional, straightforward. But I find I have a TikTok. I'm much more willing. There's much more of a discoverability in a way. The the feed your the feed is chaos in itself, right? It's controlled chaos because I'm just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Yeah. Instagram. I think that I actually actively go to channels to want to view and look, and I want a little bit more of a curated, published feel and vibe. I noticed that when I well, you mentioned meme accounts, like. Yeah. I'll notice that when I see some accounts that are not polished, I actually don't like it. Mm. Maybe that's just me, but I feel like I'm coming to you because you are a known brand or you've developed enough of a brand for yourself that yeah. like I'm less inclined to click on reels or on photos when I'm when my eye's not drawn to it or I don't know I don't have a preconceived notion about what I'm going to click on. When I think of the behavior, I kind of see both. And I think that's kind of where I go back to like, is this really going to be a trend? And I also, I look at streetwear. Streetwear to me has been curated chaos for the last decade, right? You know, yeah, that's a good it's point. like this, these gritty kids creating fashion and streetwear is now pop culture. And so, I don't know, it, I think it's really interesting. But, you know, one of the thoughts behind curated chaos, this idea that Gen Z, um, being described as nihilistic as a response to living through, you know, global issues and the bombardment of content that they're exposed to every day. And so maybe curated chaos is reinforced by the idea that Gen Z is cognitively quote unquote burdened. And so this is sort of like the way of the world moving forward. Yeah. I think it's just a phase. I mean, we all move in cycles, right? Yep. So it'll be suited and booted. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. I was actually thinking that. History cyclical. Like, 2025, the, it's the, the year of polished curation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah. I personally don't think this is going to be anything. I think this is just like a, a moment in time. You know, one thing that I think about with um, the messiness, I think about Be Real. And I, I mentioned Be Real because I know it's not as popular as it was several months ago, uh, but it represented, I think, the epitome of sort of curated chaos, right? You have one minute to post your things, and um, a lot of people still use it, but I think what it sort of beckons to is this idea of simplicity, right? We're talking about being overcommitted, mm. everything happening in our lives and our worlds, and I think we might have this sort of curated chaos evolve and even if we go back to a polished sort of nature, I think the underlying theme will be like simplicity. You know, this idea of if 2024 is the year of curated chaos, you know, 2025 will be simple authenticity. Anyways, on to the next topic. So as many of us know, 2023 was not a great year for superhero movies. And so there's an idea bubbling that video game franchises are greater than superhero franchises and wired is predicting that as superhero fatigue increases there will be an influx of video game movies as replacement uh and to me it's just hilariously ironic because several years ago uh people were like video game franchises movies they suck so much you know it's been like a really crazy history of them but recently they've been doing really well right uh, the Super Mario Bros. movie did fantastically well. And The Last of Us on HBO, or 
Max, but I still kind of want to call it HBO. Crushed it. Five Nights at Freddy's also did very well. Was that a video game? That was, that was oh, yeah. Oh. Well, anyway, so I, I, I mean, I'd be curious your thoughts, right? This idea that um, last year we saw a lot of superhero movies underperform, you know, including The Flash, Shazam, Fear of the Gods, Blue Beetle, Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Marvels. And this is like a, an interesting departure from the heyday of, of Marvel and the Avengers movies and Disney acquiring them. And even Iger actually has talked about how he um, has admitted there's an oversaturation of Marvel projects. To that end, Disney has had no billion-dollar releases in 2023 compared to the eight they had in 2020 during the pandemic. I would... Here's my, here's my feeling. All these buzzwords that they use... I don't know how you feel. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as well. Super superhero fatigue. People have been using that phrase for many years, ever since the start of. I mean, at first it was starting when Spider-Man: The First Round happened. Superhero fatigue, guys. They've been making superhero movies since Christopher Reeves in the you know the 80s or whatever it is. They've been rehashing Superman since the 50s. Like, let's let's get over this. People are still paying to go see the movies. It's not a thing. What is a thing, it, it just feels like a, it feels like a really bad excuse or a really bad notion of superhero fatigue to try to identify why these movies are not doing well. And when you mention The Flash, Shazam actually thought was, Fury of the Gods was fine. The first one was so great. Yeah. Blue Beetle, Ant-Man Ant and the Wasp, the Marvels, like, no disrespect to any of the creatives, the fantastic creatives that made these projects. But realistically speaking, like, I'm sorry. Did anyone watch The Flash? Did anyone see that movie? Because I'm sorry. That was outside of seeing an AI version of Nick Cage fighting a spider. Uh, no, like, I don't need to see Ezra Miller uh, lose his mind both off screen and on screen because I think we all knew about that. It was already a PR nightmare. It was not a good movie. It was so distastefully done for the flash i am so I, I i just can i just say though the trailer i thought looked awesome oh agreed yeah i was so excited for the flash to be a movie to know i by the way i i do not mean a non sequitur here but as someone that used to work for michael keaton i i, I yeah not in a humble brag i really don't mean to throw that out there <laughs> but i'm gonna throw that out there so i'm just gonna i'll, I'll be very quick with this but for the longest time when we were working with Michael, uh, shout out Doug Wald, my former boss and former manager of Michael Keaton. I wrote out, I have a, he emailed this to me as when they announced that Michael Keaton was becoming Batman again. I'd, I'd send a full pitch to him. This is back in 2013, where I basically had pitched that they should manufacture bringing Batman Beyond back. And I said, what you should do is you should have Michael Keaton, uh, we should pitch to him a DC movie of bringing Batman back as an old man and seeing how that works and create and really focus on Batman beyond. Obviously 10 years later, that's all happens. He saved the email and he sent it to Doug forwarded it to me. Cause he, anyway, he was like, Oh wait, future party guys. Just saying Chris, Ottel that's a hot take right there is a futurist. I will send you the email. <laughs> I, I've literally like, that's it's a like decade my, old hot take. Yeah. 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 And it came to life, but like, Michael Keaton being a part of that franchise, it was going to be such a phenomenal product. Like, it is a phenomenal story. They failed the fandom by way of how they brought it to life. 
do you feel that superhero movies are a trend? Like, will it go the way of the Western, where it's just like a flash in the pan? So, regardless of the excuses, yeah, something is is wrong, right? Right. Where they're not making the money they wish that they would have. So, how how would we identify the problem? Is this just a moment? Did they do something wrong with distribution? Is it the economy? I think it's a amalgamation of all three or four of those things that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, Blue Beetle, for example. Unhell is a phenomenal director. Uh, shout out uh, Unhell, who directed Blue Beetle, a dear friend of ours. If you hadn't seen his movie that it came out on Sundance, he is someone, a Puerto Rican filmmaker. He was one of the hottest things to come out of Sundance. Comes out with Charm City Kings. Really, it took. it was a tour de force that he ended up getting, I, I think I can say this, like, Every single IP you can imagine, whether it be like from Star Wars to Transformers to like whatever they may have been, like he was, people were hearing takes from him and was in development on like everything. Yep. Blue Beetle is a perfect example of a project that like could have been great. And I'm not saying that he didn't make a great movie. I would argue that like when DC makes that, you, you say, we want to bring Blue Beetle to life. It'll be a great movie. And we're going to market it to the Latinx community. So then in that moment, you know, I guess the real question is, is it the community not showing up and supporting the film because they're not really interested? Or is it that the distributors fail to market it in the right way? It's a confluence of so many things. I agree. It's it's interesting, though, that you mention Blue Beetle being marketed to the Latin community uh, or the Hispanic community. Because I have actually seen that superhero movies have been able to speak to so many different backgrounds and cultures. And I feel like superheroes have done so much. So I actually haven't had an interesting thought while you were talking about this idea of fatigue. And I actually think Marvel's done a diff- uh, like a decent job of taking obscure characters in IP, like a Black Panther, and making it a symbol of yeah. movement, of culture. By the way, uh, in front of the screen and behind the screen. You know, they did a similar thing with with Captain Marvel. And I, I do think when Iger talks about superhero fatigue, I do think it's just an excuse. I think they have to blame it on something. Uh, but I wonder if if this idea of superhero versus gaming has to just do with the underlying IP and what has the biggest fan base. What are people most truly passionate about and you know comic books have been around for decades and that's where we're getting this ip video games are coming out all the time online and i just wonder if a lot of why video games are now more popular is one a by factor of of that's just the way the world is going with ip and two honestly there's a lot of talent that is already moving to the gaming industry. Yeah. Right? Um, actors are acting in the visuals and the storylines of the games. Uh, writers, like bonafide Hollywood screenwriters are writing. You could argue that's where the money is these days. That's true. But that, that kind of backs up my point of the money is there because the attention is there. Yeah. And so why not take that attention that's being put into interactive storylines ip and then turn it into stories that are like film and television do you feel 
that superhero movies will come back or will gaming based movies be on top? I think quote unquote superhero movies are never going to be gone. The hero's story is never going anywhere. And I think that whether you want to call it a superhero and it means that you're, you're in a leotard or whatever, whether you're Beowulf and you're fighting dragons and you're doing this, the hero's journey is not going anywhere. It's interesting that you talk about the hero's journey because the hero's journey is in comic books and it's in video games. Yes. And so that's why I think this whole superhero fatigue, blah, 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 gaming versus whatever, I think there's something deeper here that, that they're just looking for excuses. And honestly, I just think they don't know. Um, and I think it comes down to attention. There's just more attention being immersed in the hero's journey as opposed to reading the hero's journey. Let's talk about the next topic, uh, the New York Times versus AI. So a couple of weeks ago, I think it was over the holiday break, the New York Times entered into a legal battle with OpenAI. Man, they just can't catch a break. Oh, my God. Um, they entered into a legal battle with OpenAI and Microsoft over the unauthorized usage of the Times journalism in the training of automated chatbots. Uh, the lawsuit states that millions of New York Times articles were used to train the AI and that the chatbots now compete with the news outlet as a source of reliable information. This is actually really big, big, big news that has a lot of deep, profound implications to the future of AI, the businesses that are being built on top of AI. I'm very curious to see where it's all going. Uh, and... I think it's a little messy, you know, like I, I, I think in the, I was reading it and, and looking at some things, some of the responses from OpenAI are literally word for word articles from the New York times. So it's, I saw that and I was like, oh, maybe they actually have a case here. Like this is borderline. Do we call it plagiarism, right? If you're not even citing the actual publication and, and media company. And so I, I, think this is going to be big. I, I Something's going to happen. Say the AI was to cite the source. If it cites the source and the source is available by way of the internet, is it infringement? So I think that's the key. And it's funny. I think you literally uh, wrapped up probably what would have been a 25-minute conversation <laughs> <laughs> into two minutes, which is if they cite the source, is there an issue, right? And I, I, I think that will help 100%. And, and that's actually some of what legal experts are talking about. I think the other aspect of it, though, is the actual training of knowledge and understanding and using that source material. Is that an issue? I think if you cite it, why would it be, right? Because we can cite things every, like all day long. I think the model, training the model, I think is the big thing. So one thing that comes to mind is, is there a world where these big AI companies will have to pay for the data that they use to train their chatbots? And if so, I think that's going to create a lot of disparity between the types of companies that can actually work in AI. You'd have to be heavily, heavily funded. The other issue, though, is, and this is, beyond just dealing with copywriting is sometimes what the AI spits back out about the topic that was taken from New York times is incorrect. And wait, really? Yeah. And, and this is a deeper issue with sometimes AI 
spouting back incorrect information. So what, it's making claims of citing the New York Times, but then the information itself is actually in, is in, is not correct so, or not what it said? So basically there's a thing called AI hallucinations. And so this the, the lawsuit actually highlights this as potential to damaging to the Times brand. And so the information is presented as accurate because it's coming from the New York Times, but then is skewed with other information from the AI. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and by the way, this issue is not just happening from New York Times. There's authors that are dealing with this as well. So Sarah Silverman, John Grisham, they've also filed lawsuits due to AI ingesting their works for training purposes. Without compensation. It's so interesting that, that they're not compensating because I definitely know that like you would think that they would. I don't know. I guess you can't set a precedent. Well, so I think the answer is already out there in the ether. So this was from something else I had read. But people, I think, are quick to forget that OpenAI actually just did a partnership recently with the Associated Press to license its news stories. So, you know, they just did that proactively. And there's a world where this now might become mandatory, which kind of goes back to what I said about needing to have deep-lined pockets to, to license with, you know, a ton of media companies. But I think that is probably going to be the answer. This seems like a money play. At the end of the day, they're like, we wrote original work. Now you're training other entities based off of our work. It's essentially free labor in a way. And I guess some journalism costs money, right? New York Times, especially subscription on a paywall, but not a lot of information is free. Should you have to pay for free content? So to that end, one of the reasons why this is important for the New York Times is they pay journalists to write factual information. Yeah. So I think they're really worried about the damage to their brand. But again, I think this is... This is a big moment in AI. It's funny because, you know, the strike, the, the writer strike, the, the SAG strikes over and AI was a big portion of that. But I've always said, I think this is give it two, three years. They're striking again. Like AI is fundamentally like we're going to look back in 30, 40 years and AI is basically like it's like the printing press. It's the, it's the industrial revolution. You're so right on that. You know, and it, it's just. It's not going to be over. Like, I think, I think presidents will win presidencies based on their positions and stances uh, with AI. And I just think in regards to the New York Times and AI, it's the beginning of a huge conversation in this 2024 of copyright law, trademark law, and how it intersects with AI. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pretend I have the answers, but I think it's going to come down to citing and money. It's about that time, Chris. Uh, oh, what time is it? Hot, hot take, take time. time. All right. So hot take time is the moment in time where we talk and give our hot takes and predictions of what is going to happen in the future. It can be a week from now, 24 hours from now, a decade from now, and we like to think about them, talk about them, challenge them, and see what might come true. So, Chris. Boy, eh? I went first last, last okay. time. My hot take, I'm going to piggyback off of our conversation on gaming or gaming movies or superhero movies. 
I do think there is a gaming revolution happening. It's where the money is going. It's where people are building IP from. It's where the attention is. I am predicting that Disney is going to acquire a gaming company like an Ubisoft, Activision, Blizzard, etc. in the same vein of how they acquired Marvel, Fox, Pixar. It just makes sense. And they've proven that it's really hard for them to create new things in-house. And so they've done it by acquisition. Now, I guess my prediction, it's not as cool and futuristic as yours, but we recently just got announced or was reminded to the, to the public is that Mickey Mouse or actually specifically Steamboat Willie has moved into public domain. And there's already been a significant amount of projects, specifically an NFT project, which actually is already like sold out and each Steamboat Willie is going for about $600 per NFT project. Oh, interesting. Which is already, you know, so interesting to say. Two, there's a video game that's actually being produced. They're making like a Doom-adjacent first-person shooter video game, which is already in production. I, I think will do very well. And then the horror movie that we were all talking about. I'm predicting that Disney is going to witness over the course of the next year about $100 million in revenue will be generated by way of all of these projects in, in an amalgamation that they are not benefiting from, which will further enhance my other prediction about Bitcoin and Ethereum, NFT projects, or not NFT projects, but specifically the technology that channels NFT projects studios will probably finally get on board for so they can financially participate and protect their IP long-term. I think a lot of studios and, and companies will run into this. So good thoughts. Anyways, great day. Great day. First pod of 2024. More to come. We're really excited to be bringing this to you weekly. It was an awesome time at the Future Forecast. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, rate and review, and we'll catch you next week. The Future Forecast is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for ACAST. Our executive producers are me, Boye Koloday, along with Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, and Leah Sutherland. Our audio producer is Kiara Noni. Our audio engineer is Matthew Blocka. Our editor is Nick Kursami. The podcast is hosted by yours truly, Boye Koloday and Chris Sautel. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.